This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 60th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. How are you? Are you really, though? Um, kind of, but I feel like I, I have to say great every time. True. Right? That's it's, just kind of my You are contractually thing. obligated to say that. That's true. That's why they're... They're paying me to say great. So, um, my my Mizzou <laughs> existence. We're in, the, we're in the pocket of big great. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, my my Mizzou existence is is suboptimal, I'd say. But uh, overall, really on a on a full scale, I'm, I'm I could say I'm great. I guess that's true. I would say that about you as well. <laughs> Thank you. How about you? I'm doing just fine. Uh, I'm excited for this episode because it's going to be a little different than our normal episodes we've got really one big news item to talk about that's really exciting then we're not going to do our traditional recap of the Vanderbilt game because who would ever want to do such a thing Uh, we're going to just kind of take stock of the football program and the season as it sits right now and then we are going to preview what's now the biggest game of the season against Kentucky but before we do all that a little bit of housekeeping after this episode, obviously, uh, Missouri plays Kentucky this weekend. Then they're off next weekend. So we're going to use that as the perfect opportunity to do some basketball previews. So this may span two weeks. Uh, we may break it up over the next two episodes, but look for our thoughts on the upcoming basketball team and season very, very soon. But before we do any of that, we have some news to address. And producer Cameron, I don't know if you heard about this, but... The border war is back, folks. Missouri's playing Kansas in basketball once a year for the next six years. Six years. That's fantastic. Yeah. And four of those games are played in the state of Missouri. Two at the Sprint Center, two in Columbia, two in Lawrence. Where's that? I don't even know. I guess we'll Hmm. find out. Never heard of it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, obviously, this is huge news. Um, This is a win-win for Missouri. Um, Win-win-win. A win-win-win. Most ideal outcome. Yes, hopefully. Um, It's also great to see all the really mad and complainy Kansas fans on the internet. That may be the best part of this so far. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that. yeah, I mean, it, I, I just, just out of nowhere, I totally never saw this happening, and it makes me wonder why it's happened, because um, it definitely seems like Bill Self has had a change of heart, definitely, on this subject. It seems like he's been adamantly opposed to uh, bringing back the border war for the past few years, and it seems like even at one point he was, like, kind of bashing us for leaving the Big 12 and all this stuff, and so... Now, all of a sudden, you know, in a press conference, he's talking about how this is good for both teams and it's good for the fans and it's good for the players to play in big games. And I was just like, where did this yeah, come when, from? When somebody does a 180 like that, you wonder <clears throat> if it's if his hand was forced. Exactly. And that I feel like that's very probable in this case. Yeah, it seems like Bill uh, could probably do whatever he wanted to do in the last few years. But I don't know if because of 
what's been happening recently. Maybe some of those that those powers have, have left him um, recently. So um, either way, um, I'm happy to see Bill Self uh, do a 180 on the situation. I don't know how much power he he had in Missouri not playing them, but probably a lot. So um, yeah. Also, I loved the reveal. Um, yeah. I was just kind of scrolling through Instagram, I guess, and saw the video of like just a bunch of highlights from Mizzou KU matchups. Yeah, they didn't over really the come out and say on the original post. Yeah, that I was it, just like, okay, what is this? And then the caption was like, "It's back," and this time it means something or something like that. This time yeah. it counts. And then at the end, Conza Martin says, "It's back." That was awesome. I was like, "Wait, what is happening?" And then shortly after, they followed up with a confirmation post, like it is officially back, and this is what it. These are the details and. Is fantastic and the whole setup i mean i was joking about the fact that the sprint center is in the state of missouri but it just makes perfect sense they're starting it out i know missouri as a university as an athletics program has certain obligations um, to perform at the sprint center so um this is perfect i mean yeah. they start out next season at the sprint center and then play in kansas then in missouri back and forth and then the last matchup is at the sprint center again and we can only hope that six years from now they just re-up it and do the whole thing again mm-hmm. uh yeah and i think there was even maybe some talk about trying to renew the rivalry in other sports as well i think it'd be kind of fun to play football except mizzou can't beat any bad team so maybe that would be dangerous anyways um yeah great great news for for everybody involved i was listening to a college basketball podcast today um, I think it's like CBS uh, with Matt Norlander and uh, Gary Parrish. And they were talking specifically about the border war being renewed. And they brought up kind of an inter- interesting point that I had not really thought of. But with all the potential sanctions and everything going on with Kansas, they both predicted that Kansas would be in- ineligible for the NCAA tournament in 2021, which makes this game kind of their Super Bowl, if that's the case. Yeah, that's not that bold of a prediction i would say i mean uh, that's kind of a safer bet it's crazy. Um, yeah and i think when a team is not eligible for the postseason there's still something f- something to be said for you know winning your conference regular season and then saying yeah we were the best even though we can't go to the postseason we were still the best you still can't beat us but yeah i mean this a game of this magnitude it makes you wonder if they're kind of hedging their bets a little bit. Maybe they need this game a little bit more than they ever did before. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And you got to wonder if what this has to do with Bill Self's future. I know there, there's a lot of speculation. I don't think it would necessarily need to be directly related to his future with the program, but it could contribute to a situation that sees him departing mm-hmm. if he feels like maybe if this decision was made without his blessing 100 percent, then maybe they're giving him a signal like hey listen you kind of got us in a bit, little bit of a mess here yeah we knew what was going on but you could have done a better job of you know hiding this stuff maybe and i don't know i could just see it culminating in him leaving to the nba or wherever sure that's very exciting. What's your, can you think of like an early border war memory? 
back in 2009, uh, Zaire Taylor hit a game winner in Mizzou Arena to beat Kansas. And it, like, hit the rim and went straight up and came yeah. back down. Yeah, that was awesome. And then I'm, pr- I'm going to get my seasons mixed up because I was a young lad at the time, but I'm pretty sure then they played in Lawrence and just got destroyed because mm-hmm. I was excited for that game. And it seemed like the last few seasons, or since I started paying attention to Mizzou basketball closely, it was like, hey, maybe there's a chance we'll keep it close in Columbia and probably going to get destroyed in Lawrence. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I mean, that's as much as I hate to say it, that's probably one of the more difficult places to play in college basketball. It's a crazy arena. Um, really good officials. Really good officials. Yeah. So... I'd say probably my my clearest mem- memories of the border war are probably that two thousand two thousand twelve season. I mean, both teams were were really good. There was a lot to play for. Um, obviously, that first game in Columbia was Denman's comeback. Um, which yeah, we was, talked about that in our favorite Mizzou moments of yeah, all time. One of the greatest Mizzou memories period I have as a fan, um, and then as well as unfortunately the the following game after that when we had like a, what like an 18 or 19 point lead at one at one point and then it went to overtime with uh thomas robinson absolutely destroying phil pressy on that layup and it goes uncalled and then they lose by one point in overtime so but um if we can get some games similar to those yeah man. i mean it, it just feels so good to hate kansas again i just like i really i mean it's just kind of been like i mean yeah i hate them i yeah, guess but I, there's been like no reason to really like just I was I was hate power. I was hoping it's just this is tough for me to say. I can't say I was rooting for them, but I was hoping they would beat Texas in football. Yeah, I feel like And that's... now that this has happened, I'm like, no. Yeah. Like no, go Texas. Them. I know it's I like I don't want Kansas to ever win a game years, or anything. Right. The last few years I've been like hitting Tennessee instead, yeah. you know. Like I want to go back to hitting Kansas. That sounds great. Sounds good. Yeah. And I think they would definitely like to do it in football as well. Um I feel like there's nothing to lose for Kansas on that side of the deal. I think Les Miles would love to play an SEC team. Yeah. And, not? you know, you're not going to be expected to win. But with the way the football schedules are made up so far in advance, it's kind of tough to get that worked in. But we'll see if something happens sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if in the course of this six-year deal for basketball, I would be shocked if they don't work football into the equation before that deal runs out. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the second bit of news is going to seem pretty pathetic compared to that, but Marco Harris, who was a part of the men's basketball coaching pool, uh, was promoted to assistant, and Michael Porter Sr. has now become the director of player development. And I think this was probably the most predictable thing to have ever happened in the history of anything. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, kind of what would happen to Michael Porter Sr., once Jonte and Michael were gone, because it was obvious, pretty obvious, all along that he was only on the staff uh, to get his sons on the on the basketball team, and I, I I mean I'm sure he is a decent coach, and but clearly he was not going to be coaching at Mizzou otherwise. So I think this position is similar to where he was previously with the women's program. Okay. So and it seems like this is probably where this is probably more or less his specialty right like i don't think i i could see him being in this position with the men's team for many many years right yeah th- yeah this makes sense for him i don't to think be there they're long-term. phasing him out completely i agree so yeah we, we've seen something like this coming for for quite a while and now it's official 
one of the things that Conso said today in his uh, media availability was uh, was about Mizzou being 13th in the in the media poll. Uh, his his quote was, uh, "If Mizzou is healthy and finishes 13th in the SEC, then this will be one of the best leagues to ever lace them up in college basketball." Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, obviously he disagrees with with where Missouri is ranked, and probably most people do as well. Um, but I think it's a vote of confidence for his team, and it makes me feel, you know, a little bit better that. And it, I mean, all coaches would probably say something like that, but for Conzo to to say something that confident, I really feel like he really feels that way. It makes me wonder what it makes me wonder what he would have said if they were preseason ranked or projected sixth in the yeah. conference mm-hmm. or seventh or fifth, because I don't know. That's probably more in line with maybe where he feels they should be at worst yeah because obviously he's going to have big expectations for them more than probably a lot of the fans and the other thing uh also with the cbs podcast i was listening to earlier today was matt norlander every year comes out with did he pick him to go to finish 13th i don't know where this would have fallen in the sec rankings but he, he, he ranks everybody from one to 353 or however many teams there are and missouri is ranked 82nd um and in Kimpom, the Kimpom rankings that came out they're 39th yes so there's obviously a huge discrepancy there he actually predicted missouri state to be higher than mizzou i think missouri state was like 69th which i think missouri state i actually think missouri state could be that good but mizzou i think will be better um anyways so and he his uh his explanation for that ranking was um, and he actually addressed this on the on the podcast specifically about missouri was they just have a lot of guys coming back that <clears throat> nobody got to the free throw line. And so they just have a kind of a bunch of warm bodies coming back that weren't that great last year. So I think that typically, I, I think that is just the, the main view of the media um, that haven't done a whole lot of research probably into any additions they've made. And we know how Kim Palm and any other analytic services feel about Drew Smith because they're kind of rolling over his his analytics from Evansville, which were fantastic. Right, he's like the perfect like analytic player, analytical darling. Yes, that's a great way to put it. So, um, I think it's going to be fun for Mizzou to prove some of these media guys wrong. I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think we'll. I think Missouri has a has a chance to be a top twenty five team at some point throughout the uh, the non conference. They received a vote yeah. in the top 25 13th i think is that what he yes. ranked them in. and at this point i still don't even know i think some people think that it might have actually been a mistake oh uh, what was that <laughs> uh my google assistant thinks i need it to look something up for me oh okay what and it, it, it found the 2019 college football week nine rankings oh thanks <laughs> so um, yeah, so whoever this guy was, I, I forget his name, but he ranked Missouri as high as 13th. Um, I looked so at his th- little, like, profile that shows all the voters. Yeah. And it'll tell you when a pick is five or more spots higher than what they actually are in the poll. Mm. And he had, like, eight of them. Oh, really? That were five or more spots higher than what the so actual So he was just determined was. to do his own thing, which is fine. Yeah. Good for him, but I, I. They even said on the podcast, I, I'm. They, they thought they, it could have been a mistake that he ranked them that high. That he might have actually made like a typing error or something because it, they were that. No way. They were that. Uh, He's a believer. Convinced that it was. Uh, 
that I'm big just of a discrepancy. Sc- scrolling through his rankings, just looking for SEC teams, and it looks like maybe Missouri is like tenth on his rankings. Yeah, I, I typically I like Matt Norlander, but that seemed like he just didn't quite put the the work in this time. And I mean, I it did would be hard to that, rank three hundred plus teams. Did I, you think that Conzo was on the hot seat this year? No, he definitely did not <laughs> say that. Maybe he should have done the write up uh, on their SEC preview. Yeah. Uh, one other news thing that I thought of while you were talking was Axel Okongo has been granted a second season. I saw that. So. That's a scholarship that's, going for next year. That's something. Makes the roster math a little more complicated, but I guess we'll figure it out when we get there. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about this Vanderbilt game? We can try. <laughs> There's not much to say about it. No, I mean, I don't want to say much about the actual game because we all saw it. It was horrendous. I mean... I really didn't feel bad. I Well, I felt bad, but I really didn't feel like this game was in danger of of us losing it until like the fourth quarter the watching this game i was like wow that's really painful to watch but i i really was still like well we're gonna pull this out like it's only you know we're only down by one score or we're tied or whatever it is there's pretty much the whole game was just right there and right until the end basically especially when cam wilkins got the interception like in their other quarterback came in due to an unfortunate circumstance that their starter got hurt that was pretty terrible that was terrible um, but I definitely felt at that point, okay, this finally we're we're gonna claw back into this game. It's we're we're good. That did not happen. No, I was kind of when that happened, I was already at the point of thinking Missouri does not even deserve to win this game. Like I was already the ship had sailed for me. I was like, if if they turn around and pull this out and win by a field goal or even a touchdown late doesn't really matter that much to me because what I've seen on the field is scaring me enough that just getting the win at this point doesn't really mean a whole lot. Yeah. Because the way they were playing, they did not deserve to win that game. I agree. And especially the play that got them back in it, like you said, that interception was right on the back of a pretty, like one of the worst plays I've ever seen a Missouri player make as far as it looking incredibly dirty. Yeah. And I, I mean, we would be complete hypocrites if we didn't mention it after how we reacted to um, the Troy players in that game. Right. And yeah, when, actually, when I saw the play live, I was kind of like, really targeting? Because it looked yeah. like it kind of just like fell on him a little bit, yep. but you just didn't have the right angle. Yep, they showed that saw other angle, play. and it was, it was very literally obvious. the easiest targeting penalty you've ever seen. Yeah, it was really bad. And it... I read after the fact that he was shaken up over it and obviously regretted sure that play. It all I mean it all happened so fast. I'm sure when you're on the field playing, I'm sure he didn't mean to absolutely destroy the quarterback with his head. I'm sure yeah. that he was not thinking I'm going to do this, but it definitely it was really bad that way. Yeah. Yeah. So and then for the backup to come in and one play later or two plays later throw a pick six. Yeah. It looked like things were going to... Was it a pick six? Yeah, almost. almost. I think he returned it to like the five yeah. or something. I was like, well, it kind of sucks that that's how they're going to get back in this game and probably win was my thought process at the time. Because mm-hmm. that tied it up, I think. Yeah, tied it up at 14 when they yeah. scored. But, man, there was just... I. One thing I want to say about the offense is... 
and I guess it's more about Vanderbilt's defense, but I don't know what they were doing that just completely threw the Missouri offense off their game. Vanderbilt's defense was not able to do anything against UNLV the week before. Right. They hadn't stopped anybody all year, and they were giving Kelly Bryant fits. He had. He, it seemed like he had nowhere to go with the ball the entire game. They were basically shutting down Missouri's run game. They couldn't get anything going on the ground. No big runs. Um, I think it's – I've talked about this quite a bit before, but just the intangibles of the game. Obviously, Mizzou probably came in thinking we can sleepwalk through this. I was thinking before the game, I'm not – like. I'm not even that excited about this game because it's going to be so easy. Um, Hopefully, which another, is rare for me. I'm yeah. normally just like pumped about any game right. that Missouri is ever playing. So um, it was like a dreary game on the road. It was just like, okay, this is just take care of this game, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Vanderbilt, their backs are against the wall. They've got a new quarterback that comes in and seem to kind of give them a little bit of fire. Uh, you've got Missouri on, their hand, on the other hand, who just came off of a pretty nice win against Ole Miss. The offensive line was fantastic against Ole Miss. In Vanderbilt, completely different offensive line. The same five guys, but look completely different people. There was no push. The running backs couldn't get anywhere. Um, pass blocking was fine, but the run blocking was abysmal. They couldn't do anything in the run game. Um, and it's kind of interesting watching it on TV because you don't really know if the wide receivers are open or not. You can't see them. But it definitely felt like Kelly Bryant was holding onto the ball way too long, but maybe he just didn't have guys open. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that definitely, but there comes to a point where I feel like if you're the quarterback, you have to throw it up there sometimes. And I'm not talking about a designed throw into double coverage to the corner of the end zone for Albert O. Yeah. I'm talking about you see a guy, there had to have been some one-on-one matchup at right. some point in the game that he could just throw it up there. Right. And that's something that I think Drew Locke did that we kind of didn't give him much credit for and and we gave the wide receivers the necessary credit they would just go make a play but mm-hmm. he would give them that opportunity to yeah. make the play and i think if kelly bryant would have done that three or four times just said well you're gonna have to make a play here right. wide receiver jalen Knox, show some confidence you know, in him. jonathan nance yeah, I think that was one thing I noticed a lot when we were at the Ole Miss game last week was was I can see the full, the full field. I can see the wide receivers that are open. I can see the ones that are in double coverage. Those are things you can't really see on TV. And I'm never going to pretend like I know what it's like to be a college quarterback. I've never played quarterback at any level. But it certainly – there Flag was football. M- true. There was so many times where I was like, oh, my God, like Jalen Knox is wide open. And he throws it to Jonathan Johnson, who has two or three guys drape all over him. And – um, seemed like that happened a lot in the Ole Miss game, um, and I'm sure there was opportunities missed in the Vanderbilt game. Um, I think that's probably something, like you said, we took for granted with Drew Locke was probably that I don't know how his field vision um, compared to Kelly Bryant, but it definitely seemed like Kelly Bryant had time to make plays, and they just didn't happen. Yeah, another thing he did that kept frustrating me was he, and again, this is this is total Monday morning quarterbacking right here, um, he needed to, in my opinion, step up in the pocket and then look if he was going to run, run north and south, you know, step up in the pocket, make, then make that decision. Am I throwing the ball right now or am I going to take off? Instead, he would roll out of the pocket, even when it was not a design rollout, the play, he, he would go through a couple reads, not see what he wanted, roll out of the pocket, 
and then try to take off towards the sideline. And it was usually a two or three yard gain at best. And he had a few good runs Mm -hmm. for sure. And that's going to happen if you, I mean, I need to pull it up, but he ran the ball like, I want to say like 12 times or something, maybe a little bit more. But if he's stepping up in the pocket and then running north and south, he's going to pick up those yards a lot easier and then have a better opportunity to break off a 15, 20 yard run up through the middle and then slide down. He was just getting forced to the sideline where he couldn't really do anything. Yeah. Uh, another just a little quick, quick thought I had was um, it just seems like we, at, at what point do we just start throwing the ball to Albert O more? Just even when he's not open, we're just like making concerned effort to get the ball to him. It seems like that needs to probably happen. Um, I was impressed by Albert O's kind of resilience coming in, back into the game. Sometimes I worry about, like sometimes he seems a little fragile and you can say soft, a little soft. And, um, like not, not that I question how bad he wants to win, but just, I think him coming back in after taking what looked, I thought his season was over. He, it looked terrible. I thought he like blew his knee out. He like got flipped upside down. It looked really, really bad. Um, but he kind of shook it off and came right back in. And that showed me that, you know, in a season where he's got a lot of money on the line, um, he wanted to win. He wanted to help his team win. So I, I was impressed by that. Um, Real quick, I had it right in front of me the whole time. 16 carries for 72 yards for Kelly Bryant. Yeah, it, he, it seemed like a lot. And it seemed like there should have been, like you said, more success there. It seemed like there was a lot of opportunity um, for that. That just if he's, got tripped up a lot. And if he's carrying the ball 16 times, then I don't know. I'd like to see a healthier average than that. Yeah. Maybe that's asking too much. But he was not – These a bunch of these carries weren't okay – I don't have anybody. I'm going to make something happen. Mm-hmm. A few of them were, but a lot of them were, I'm rolling out of the pocket, scanning, scanning, scanning. I'll try to get two yards. Yeah. Uh, one quick note that I did read. Uh, actually, I think it was during the game. I might have read this. Um, there was kind of a report potentially that Vanderbilt was uh, kind of seeing a tell in Missouri's offensive line that was kind of giving away whether Missouri was going to run or pass. I don't know if that's true. That was not confirmed by really anybody, but I did read that that, that was what the Vanderbilt radio crew apparently said over their broadcast. Wow. Um, and even if that is true, I'm still not sure that it should have made the game. That I'm not sure that the Missouri's offense should have been as bad as it was still even. So obviously that's a disadvantage if if, uh, if, you if know, they're able to guess correctly. 100% you know. of the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then obviously that's a huge advantage, but I still – feel like missouri should have been able to overcome it and that's that's pretty remedial stuff if that is really happening that's that's interesting yeah you got to wonder if coming off of uh five home games in a row they just kind of fell into this kind of comfort zone where things things kind of more or less came easy to them last five games right and geez i just i thought we might see a wake-up call like, I was fully prepared for a wake-up call against Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I did not, obviously, if you listen to last week's episode, right. we did not in a million years expect we, a wake-up call against Vanderbilt. We pretty much, I think we previewed Troy more so than <laughs> Vanderbilt. Like, we just didn't even put maybe, in... Maybe we need to lead by example. Yeah, we're, we're the problem. Yeah. So, I, I think all of this leads us to uh, where are we at with Barry Odom and why why, why are these things happening? And is it is it a lack of talent? Is it the coaching staff? And so I kind of put together a few notes, kind of making the case for Barry Odom, 
and making the case against Barry Odom. So I kind of, uh, I don't know, where, where, where do you want me to start? You want, you want me to give you my case for Barry Odom first? Um, well, do you, want to, do you want to start out by seeing where the, the Twitter followers That's good stand idea. on everything? That's a good idea. Because you put out a poll basically saying, you know, basically trying to feel out where the fan base, at least the ones that follow us, feel where they, how they stand with Barry Odom at this point. Yeah, so uh, we had 455 votes in a Twitter poll. Um, basically said, um, I, I, I gave everybody a little, a little bit of time for the loss to Maronite, and, and I expected this poll to be very negative because obviously we're coming off an absolutely horrendous loss. Um, so I said, give me your hot takes. Is Barry Odom the guy for Mizzou long-term? And if you're on the fire Odom train, who are some realistic targets Mizzou, Mizzou should go after? I'm so glad you added that. To and the, explain to the your vote below. Um, so to my surprise, 60% of the voters said, yes, I'm with Odom. Uh, 16% of the voters said, no, fire Odom. And then 24% said they're undecided. Yeah, I almost wish you wouldn't have put I, that third option yeah, just to I, make people choose. I kind of maybe fewer people would have voted, but but a lot of times people just vote to see what the results are. Right. Um, and I feel like a lot of them would have just voted yes. I don't know. Yeah. It, still though, I I felt like for I think the takeaway for there, Fire Odom to yeah. be the the least picked option was exactly. was surprising that's, to me. That's my biggest takeaway there. And so and sometimes I think whenever we just read a bunch of stuff on Twitter. We start to get the feeling or that forum that the comments. fans are yeah. right or are, are jumping off the cliff, but we typically just the the people that are angry are the ones that are loudest. So obviously we're reading those takes all the time, and the people that are you know still still have faith are probably a little quieter, especially after a loss to Vanderbilt. I do want to say something about the takes, though. You got people. You got to stop it with these with some of these takes. I mean, I the ones we'll share with you in reg- the in replies to our poll we're not that bad i mean yeah credit to our listeners or at least the ones that follow us on twitter for being somewhat level-headed for the most part but some of the hashtag mizzou twitter on saturday night was just it was brutal yeah and to the point where mizzou recruits that have committed to the program were calling out the fan base and saying basically wow Y'all got some fake fans up in here if you're going to turn on a team that quickly. Yeah, unfortunately. And I completely agree with them. Like, there's right. a bunch of idiots. Oh, sure. And hopefully and the they're players, the loudest. Yes. yes. And hopefully the people that it, that it matters to realize that, mm-hmm. that not everybody's like that. And you see that in the replies of those kind of tweets. Right. You know, everybody's saying, no, we, we're with you. Don't listen to these guys. But, man, people need to just chill out a little bit. I agree. And so I'm going to read some of these responses that we had. Uh, we had Jay Will uh, at a activated Mo said, I think Mike Leach would be a good hire. Um, look what he did at Texas Tech and now Washington State. I'm still undecided on Odom. If he reaches 9 to 10 wins, he's at least shown progression. I'm not sure what I think about Mike Leach. Um, I think that he has done some some pretty good thing, places where he's been. Um, he's a character, that's for sure. Yeah, that would be a pretty wild 180 going from Barry Odom to Mike Leach. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about... It's polar opposites. Yeah. Polar opposites in personality. Barry Odom, this is his first head coaching job. Mike Leach has been a head college head coach for decades. And first of all, I don't think he would ever come to Missouri. I think he... That's not... 
at this stage of the game, that's not a better job than what he already has. The Pac-12 is infinitely more winnable and way easier to go undefeated in than the SEC. And Yeah, I'd say it's pretty comparable, but I agree. I mean, I don't know that he would make the move at this point. Um, so, so this guy's still undecided on Odom. That's fair. Um, Joe... Hewlin at Joe Hewlin one said probably not the most popular opinion, but Lane Kiffin could do some damage in Columbia. That would be wild. Again, that would be complete opposite of what we currently yes. have. Uh, I don't think I'd be a fan of that. I no. mean, he Lane Kiffin sure, certainly is a talented coach, I think, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it might work. You never know. That would be a splash but, higher, yeah. but it's also one. I feel like the crash and burn possibility oh sure is pretty high there for sure uh kate sutter at kate sutter lhs says i do like that the players support him and he seems to bring in good people i would prefer to be above average with good people than dominate with jerks and suspensions interesting interesting take uh Um, that seems like a perfectly level-headed reasonable response and i commend you for that I, I think I that's true. Agree. I think that's a good point, though, uh, that it really does seem like the players want to play for him. Um, it seems like chemistry is good in the locker room. Yep. Um, you've got players publicly defending Barry Odom. I, oh, yeah. I, and that, I don't think that always happens in, in like a crisis loss like right. this. And taking responsibility. Right. Yeah. So I think chemistry with players and with coaches both seem to be pretty good. But obviously, I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know. Uh, then we had uh, Gator Jackson at one underscore Atkins says, Mizzou football and basketball haven't been any fun for years. Late 90s, early 2000s were so much fun to watch. Uh, I say, where were you in 2007 and 2013? Yeah. Terry Kluner at Kluner Terry says, open the bank and get Urban Meyer. That's got That's a joke, obviously. I, I sure hope that's a joke. Um, I got a couple other responses here I'm probably not even going to read. Uh, at stage underscore 37 says any coach with a proven track record why does MU continually go after low-hanging fruit we need a win now mentality so that one I that is a perfectly reasonable take for the Odom's not the guy crowd I agree Um, who hired Barry Odom I think it's Mac Rhodes so I really wonder I wish you could just get. I wish we could get Jim Sterk in this room, and say, "Hey, Jim, take me to an imaginary place where you're in charge of the football team, as Gary Pinkle is resigning or retiring, I should say. Um, what do you think you would do, or who would be on your list? Mm-hmm. Because he showed with the hire of Conzo Martin that he had a very specific idea of what he wanted in a basketball coach." He went out and got him. And he did open the bank a little bit. Uh, I think hindsight's twenty twenty, but a couple of other a- options that I think were probably out there at the time that Barry Odom got hired was probably Matt Rule, who's currently at Baylor. Um, and he's been very good there. Uh, and if I had to go back and, and redo, if I was in charge, if I had to go back and, and I had the, the opportunity to pick, I probably would want him um, or Barry Odom. I still think Barry Odom has been a fine choice. Um, the other one that gets talked about quite a bit is Matt Campbell, who's at Iowa State, and he had a pretty good year, uh, I think, last year. I think they were ranked in the top 25. Had some, I think they beat 
did they beat Oklahoma at one point? I don't know. In the last couple of years, I don't yeah. know. They've had some big wins, uh, but I don't think they're very good this year. So They're okay. Middle of the road yeah. in the Big 12. So I just think that Jim Sterk would not – I think he would have wanted more head coaching experience from his head football coach, yeah. and that being more than zero. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Um, and Barry Odom was great everywhere he went um, before this. <clears throat> in all of his positions, I think he – had very good defense where he, where he was and it's taken a couple years but his defense is better now than than it ever has been in his uh tenure here so maybe that's finally you know kind of he's getting his players is you know that's catching up with him but perfectly understandable concern um because he's definitely learning as he goes yeah and i think it's hard to if, if you're going to point to things point to his lack of head coaching experience those type of things don't tell me don't say things like he can't win the big game or he's gonna keep having these terrible losses like that's so abstract evidence that doesn't actually mean anything that that argument just doesn't really hold any water for me but i feel like you could probably craft an argument that would hold a little bit of water and i'm i voted odom's the guy or whatever that choice was on the poll and i still feel that way and i'm probably going to be fairly level-headed with him for many years if he's in if he's in winnable games that have the team in the 8 9 10 win area fairly often. So that's probably me settling for mediocrity. Yeah, we'll see that, that's that was the thing was one of, one of my things I was going to bring up, but I I think it's just part of being a reasonable sports fan where you just kind of have to accept historically where you are in the grand scheme of things and Missouri's never going to be Alabama um, they're never going to be LSU or or whatever Texas Oklahoma there are, are programs that are just historically they're going to be there and they're going to get the best recruits and they have the most money and they have the craziest fan base whatever it is um, that doesn't mean that Mizzou can't go out and, you know, win a national championship some year <clears throat> or, or win the SEC East, you know, every few years or whatever they've been doing. Um, but I think that and, and yeah, I think some fans would probably call this settling for mediocrity. That's fine. Um, but I guess I choose to be reasonable and I choose to understand that Barry Odom might be one of the best options we have as far as somebody who truly wants to lead the program and um, consistently put us in the competitive you know, scene. And we could be Arkansas right now. We could be in a lot, lot worse situation. And I think Barry Odom has, has taken us from a not so great situation and put us in a better spot. Um, but anyways, I, I guess I'll just give you some thoughts on, on the case in, in favor of Barry Odom. Um, cause I've already listed a couple. Um, but I think one of them that, that kind of came to mind was his ability to discover recruiting talent. That's kind of off the radar. And then develop them. Right. Because kind of going off of what I just said about Missouri's just kind of place in the sports world is that's the kind of recruit we have to, you know, we have to live off of is those kind of four-year players, whenever they're juniors and seniors, they're, you know, if we have, you know, if the stars kind of align and we have some really great leadership, then, yeah, we make a push for the national championship if, if all the stars align. Uh, we're, we're not going to be able to just go out and, and land a bunch of five-star recruits and win the national championship that way. We're going to have to get creative. We're going to have to find the recruits that aren't at the top of the rankings every year and f- figure out a way to win that way. And I think Barry Adams has shown that he can do that. Yeah. 
I think Nick Bolton's a great example of a guy that wasn't rank, hi, highly ranked, but he's gonna probably be one of the best defenders in the in the country this year, and he's a sophomore. Yeah. So that's that's just a great example of of the staff's ability to do that because he is their guy. Yeah. Another thing I wrote was and this is. I don't know, kind of weird, but I think that obviously Barry Odom's a Mizzou guy. He probably wants to win more than anybody else, and this is obviously speculation on my part, but I, I really think that if Mizzou was to find consistent success, I, I don't think that he would use Mizzou as a stepping stone to go somewhere else. True. I think he, if he is successful enough to do it, I think he could be here for a really long time. And I think it's worth, it's worth, quote, settling for mediocrity in a coach's first four to six years eight years if you're calling mediocrity averaging if if we get to a spot where you're averaging eight wins a year at missouri if i have to settle for that and this guy's going to be the guy for the next 30 years or something crazy like that if he's going to end his career as the head coach of the missouri tigers then averaging eight wins a year for his first 10 years that's going to be great and it's only going to be go up from there i agree um another just little note i wrote down was there's always going to be those crazy fans out there but for those of us who try to approach it at a reasonable way it's it's just not it doesn't always have to be either he's the greatest coach ever or we're firing him we have to try to find some like middle ground where we're saying okay uh, yeah, we're really not happy about the fact that we've lost to Wyoming and Vanderbilt this year. That's terrible. We should not be doing that. Let's let's fight through adversity and, and find how we can improve. And there just seems to be none of that in the sports world. So I'm just trying to fight against the, like, just, okay, everybody has to go. Because the consistency of coaching staffs is so important in a program, especially when there's so many coaches, there's so many people involved, there's so many recruits, there's so many people that it affects that just – firing somebody over a you know a, a bad loss is going to do way more harm than just you know sticking through and, and just having some consistency in your program and that kind of is what happened with Gary Pinkle Gary Pinkle did not start off very well <clears throat> in fact I wrote um, in his first six seasons Gary Pinkle was one in 15 versus top 25 opponents um, Barry Odom is one in eight so far uh, that's not great but you know what he has he should have more opportunities in the future to correct that. And he probably should have beat Kentucky, who was a ranked opponent last year. Yeah. So he's we've been close. I've got a similar one for you. You may have written this down as well. But uh, Barry o- this is uh, Gabe Diarman t- tweeted this out. But Barry Odom's record versus teams that finished with a winning record in his first three seasons, 4-16. and 16. Gary Pinkle's record versus teams that finished with a win- winning record in his first four seasons, 4-16. and 16. So... Um, Missouri has not played the obvious thing is there that we're talking about three seasons versus four seasons so Missouri has not played as many teams with a winning record at the end of the year but they have played worse teams and they beat them easier Um, against teams that finished 500 or worse Gary Pinkle's first years 18 and 9 Barry Odom's first years 15 and 3 so there's a lot to unpack there kind of, but the point is that you just, you just we didn't gotta, give up on Gary Pinkle yeah. and it, we allowed consistency. We allowed 
just him to create his program and it just takes a really long time sometimes yeah. and that's not to say that we're saying that barry odom is the next gary pinkle no, but the fact of the matter not. is we don't know yet right and it's just too early to just cut the cord on something that and, and where there's been promise at times and there's there's been a lot of things to point towards in in success and so. and that's assuming that we at the end of this season will be able to call it a successful season right there's still Gotta a lot rebound. of season left to come and if things turn into an absolute disaster then this is a different situation at the end of the year if missouri does like just loses out or something like that yeah it's a little bit different conversation yeah i say a little bit because i'd probably still be in favor of bringing him back for another year (laughs) yeah okay so that's uh a lot of kind of the points i had in favor of barry odom do you want to hear the case against him let's hear it okay um some of these things are pretty obvious i mean really really bad losses wyoming this year vanderbilt in 2016, we lost to Middle Tennessee State, the horrible loss to Purdue in 2017. So there's been some really weird losses, some really like unexplainable situations where, like we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, just strange events that we can't rebound from in game. Yeah, um, I think the if I could try to give you an explanation, it's that when teams are only good and not great, they're going to lose to teams that are bad sometimes. Yeah. And to go back to Gary Pinkle, he lost to Troy in 2004. That was still early. The next year, lost to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So those kind of things happen to every coach right. when they're coaching just a good team and not a great team. And that's what makes <clears> – <throat> this is kind of random, but and that, that's what makes good coaching jobs so impressive. Like the job Nick Saban's done at Alabama, how consistently dominant they've been because that's just unheard of in in sports when when everybody when all these college athletes are just so good at what they do it's so hard especially when you're recruiting 20 30 guys to your team or more every year there's so much opportunity for that dominance to be stripped away yeah alabama doesn't lose to bad teams right they lose to very rarely they'll lose to a good team but the only teams they're losing to are great teams right so, and they're about the only team that's been able to do that. I mean, obviously, other other teams have been dominant, but probably not to the level that Alabama's been in the last couple of years. Yeah, even Clemson loses every once in a while to a team they should, they're favored by 20 points against. Right. And they have done a lot of cheating over the last few years. <laughs> so, unfortunately, the unfortunate part, and maybe, again, again, maybe we're accepting mediocrity, but those things are unfortunately just expected in sport at any level. You're defending Barry Odom. You're not supposed to be doing that right You're now. You're right. All right, let's talk about, and I think these are some some stats again that were provided by Gabe that I thought were interesting, but um, Barry Odom has not been impressive in flip games, and these games are um, games when when Missouri is a single-digit favorite. Um, So games that are expected to be close, but they should win. They're 7-8, and Um, and games where they are single-digit favorites or underdogs, so just flip games in general, they're 9-11. and So I think... Really, what's not not what, what's more alarming to me, I think, is these poor records in flip games rather than we lost to Vanderbilt, like <clears throat> because those things just unfortunately happen. But these are the more we have a bigger sample size where we've just been kind of mediocre in games that really matter to the season and teams that we should be able to compete with. And I can't I can't back this up with stats, but I would venture a guess that <coughs> those type of games. For a team like Missouri, a co- over a coach's entire career, 
with such a large sample size, you're going to see a trend very similar to that a lot of the time just because it was supposed to be a close game and you're going to lose a lot of close games. I think the difference comes in single seasons or back-to-back seasons where you just win a lot of them. You know, you're not that overall record needs to just be inflated with one year where you win all of your coin flip games except one mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And then that's going to make you have a special season. It's going to help that average a little bit. In most seasons, you're going to go about 500 in those games. But every once in a while, when you get a season that ticks up and you win a lot of those types of games, then that's, I think, where you're going to see a big difference. If Vegas were right about every game, uh, Mizzou would be 31 and 14 in the Barry Odom era. Instead, they are 24 and 21. So a fairly large discrepancy there. Um, that's significant. That's pretty significant, yeah. Um, and then another thing that I compiled was uh, <clears throat> kind of a stat to show that even the teams that we have beat have not been very good. So, again, we're not doing great in flip games, We and the teams we do beat aren't real good. Um, the combined records of all the teams Barry Odom has beat, 108 and 159. And we're winless against Kentucky and Georgia. Well, one of those things is going to change this weekend. I sure hope so. So that is at least my case against Barry Odom. Obviously, some pretty questionable uh, records. Um, Probably a lot of those close games that probably should have been wins have not been. Um, Kyle, I don't think your heart was really into that case against Barry Odom. Well, you're probably right. Because I told you before (laughs) that I felt like he should be here. Yeah, I know. um, I still think those are those are concerning things, though, um, that are going to have to be some of those things are, are going to have to get better. Yeah. But I think the discerning sports fan and thankfully a lot of our Twitter followers agree. They realize that that's that's just part of it. I mean, when you're a new coach and a, a guy that's never been a head coach before, that's the only that's the only thing that I that I really give credence to the anti Odom side of things is the fact that he this is his first head coaching job and he's never proven that he can lead a team successfully for any stint at all now how much let's just say hypothetically he had been the head coach at memphis for two years and they won nine games and ten games in his two years there well those wouldn't have been his players and how much would we really know about how he leads a program Mm -hmm. but i think that even a small sample size like that at a power or a group of five, whatever they call them, one of those conferences, American conference team, that would be enough for the doubters, for some of the doubters to say, well, he had success at Memphis, just as an example. So we'll give him a little more slack when it's probably really that doesn't even tell you that much. I agree. So as much as I would have liked to have seen something like that, I have to remind myself that, it really wouldn't mean that much. And if yeah. somebody argued against it, I wouldn't be able to refute their claims very easily. Right. And I think that if you use that kind of um, example in an argument, then you almost, I don't know, its it doesn't always happen where, where a guy is successful somewhere and then is successful somewhere else. A lot of times that can happen, 
but it doesn't mean necessarily that, like you said, that they are capable of, of doing it. It might be because of other reasons. And Well, and that pattern that you see a lot with that type of team, we'll just keep using Memphis as an example because it actually sort of did happen. You have a head coach that leaves for a better job because they were successful. An assistant steps up into their place, is successful because they had been successful and they have good players. Then they go to a Power 5 team and have to do a little bit of a rebuild because the Power 5 coach, the, the Power 5 head coaching vacancy didn't usually happen because the team because the coach took a better job. That's what happens in the American Conference, the Sun Belt Conference, things like that. So no matter what, you're, I think people argue semantics a little bit about the state of the program when Barry Odom took it over, but you just have to expect some rough times at the beginning. And if people, I think I can kind of summarize my thoughts for Barry Odom is that if people can't see that he is improving year after year, keeping in mind the season's not over, then I think that they're never going to be satisfied no matter what. I was going to bring up a point about Justin Fuente, who was the head coach at Memphis. I couldn't think of his name, but that was kind of the... Yeah, the, and, and he's gone to Virginia Tech now. He's been yeah. there for a few years, and they've been okay. They've been very mediocre, um, and he was great at Memphis. Memphis was very good whenever he and Barry Odom were both there. So Yeah, Barry Odom was a big part of that success. Yeah. Well. I think we'll probably have some people disagree with us on that. Fine. That's fine. But just try to be reasonable in your argument. And right. Yeah, just just try to see the progress that's been made in the program. And, you know, maybe at the end of this year, we don't really bounce back from this. And we kind of just, I don't know, we lose some more games. And then maybe I'll, maybe I'm, I'll have a different frame of mind in a month from now. I don't sure. know. But because uh, I definitely don't want to be a sunshine pumper either and not look at the not, you know, consider the concerns. But yeah, at you have this to point, acknowledge the negatives. Yeah. There, there's just <clears throat> it's completely unreasonable to just fire Odom at this point. Agree. That all you have to say on that? Yeah, I think that's good. Um, throwing it back to the Vanderbilt game real quick. Kishan Vaughn didn't uh, he didn't absolutely destroy Missouri in the running game 3.3 yards per carry is that screen pass yeah four receptions for 80 yards and a touchdown really kind of took it over the edge mm -hmm. anyway I uh, thought the defense still played well yeah uh, I mean how much can you ask from a defense when offense can't do anything exactly just punting the ball 50 times Cam Wilkins Nick Bolton both looked fantastic uh, I think Wilkins is doing a really good job filling in for for Hill Garrett um, obviously, the, the huge interception was the only reason Missouri even had a chance to probably win. Um, that's 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 definitely a bright spot for the future going forward is Missouri's got some really nice young defensive players. Future going forward and backward, I'd say. Um, I'm done talking about Vanderbilt and that yeah, game me and too. that mess. Let's, let's put it behind us. Put it. Let's put our behind in our past. And... Let's talk about the college football playoff draft game that we did. Uh, we drafted a squad of squads. That's going to stick one of these days. Squad of squads. And we're trying to see who will be in the college football playoff. And there was a big mix-up this past weekend when Wisconsin lost to Illinois. They were about a 5 million point favorite. 
and lost. And I had them on my squad, and they're now ranked 13th, which gives my team of LSU, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Wisconsin an average ranking of 6.75. Kyle's Alabama, Penn State, Georgia, Oregon, average rank of 7. And then a new leader, Producer Cameron, his squad of Ohio State, Oklahoma, Florida, and Auburn with an average rank of 6. So that really mixed everything right back up. And we all have a team, at least one team, in the top four. And I think I get first choice. Wisconsin still controls their own destiny. They could beat Ohio State twice still. I That loss to Illinois might keep them out of the playoff, even if they went undefeated. I think so, because remember the year, <clears throat> I think it was two years ago, Wisconsin was, was Wisconsin undefeated, and they still didn't get in. I don't know. Maybe they had one loss. But in this situation, they'd have to beat Ohio State twice to be undefeated. They have to beat them twice? Well, assuming they would meet them in the uh, Big Ten championship game. Yeah. Big 14 is what it really should be called. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to change Yeah, why is it the only one that that didn't change? The number didn't change? Uh, Didn't the Big Big 12 has 10 teams. True. So So the real Big 10 is the Big 12. Yeah. Wow, that's wow. weird. And the Big Ten is the Big 14. At least the Pac-12 is what it is. At least the SEC was smart enough to not put a number yeah. in their conference <laughs> I, name. I've heard that that's actually the real reason why Missouri left is because they wanted a conference that didn't have a number in their name just yeah. wow. for future-proofing. It's, really, it's really paying off, literally. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, sorry, Producer Cameron, you want to switch out any of your teams? Uh, No, thank you. Looking pretty good. Yeah, for now. For now. Still got two SEC teams in there and – yeah, Neither one of them are going to be in the SEC championship game, so <laughs> good luck with that. There's like a little bit of like concern on his face where he's like, oh, good point. <laughs> well, no, the whole time I knew that Auburn still had to play like two ranked SEC teams. But yeah. who else do you Three, think at this point? LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. They still have to play. Hey, well, if they, they win, win all those, then they're really, oh, really sure, good. And then sure. beat Florida in the SEC championship or beat Missouri in the SEC championship. Uh, go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> Oh, I'm good. I'm gonna stand pat. Okay, rolling with Oregon all the way. They pulled off some crazy win. I don't. I think I saw they were playing somebody, and they were like way behind <laughs> at one point. Wow. They were way behind at one point, and then ended up winning. So Dang. go Ducks! Wow, Washington. I would definitely keep oh, them in you. my squad. Then. Yeah, I'm keeping them. They beat that team. Whoever it was, it had a number next to their name. That's all I remember. Okay, so they were good. All right, that's enough of that. No change for any team. How exciting! This has got to be our most exciting segment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nobody's skipping that. All right, let's talk about Kentucky real quick. Uh, There were no changes to the depth chart as far as I saw. Now, we do have uh, Gillespie not starting the game. He will not play in the first half. Martez Manuel, the uh, true freshman from Columbia Rockbridge, is going to take over the starting spot. And he's he's great. He's going to take it over for good. I don't think so, no, but uh, not this year. But he, he's graded out pretty nicely in, in games that he's played so far. So I, I think he's going to do a, a decent job. Kentucky Wildcats are 3-4, and 1-4 and four in conference. They lost at home to Florida. They lost on the road to Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Georgia. They beat Toledo, Eastern Michigan, and Arkansas. 
So their three wins are not against very good competition. But all four of their losses, well, I should say every single one of their games has not been, let me try that again. None of their games have been a blowout. So even yeah. when they played Eastern Michigan, it was not a blowout. And when they played Georgia, it wasn't a blowout. That's probably because they have a good defense and a terrible offense. And they really, really, really want to run the ball. Yeah. So yeah. They're going to shorten I, the game and basically try to completely recreate Vanderbilt's script yeah, to a T. Exactly. Um, th- I think they were 0 0 at halftime with Georgia last week. Yeah. That was cr- that's crazy. And I don't know if Georgia's kind of fizzling out a little bit. I don't know if they're uh, not fizzling out, fizzling out. But oh, they're so fizzled. I'm just wondering if they are maybe are not as potent as they as they were maybe last year or something. I don't know. But uh, this should be a winnable game. Really, bottom line, um, Kentucky's not that great. They have a wide receiver who's playing quarterback because their quarterback got hurt. Their quarterback got hurt, and then their backup quarterback got hurt. So, yeah, third-string quarterback is literally a wide receiver, yeah. and he's their best wide receiver. So he can't throw it to himself, and he he leads their team in receptions and receiving yards. I did not know that. And he started last game at quarterback, played the entire game at quarterback. That is unreal. Yeah. Um, so at this point, I think Missouri realizes they can they cannot sleepwalk through games anymore. I, at least you'd certainly hope so. And also another thing is is – seems like uh barry odom's teams play really well when their backs are against the wall and it seems like this is probably one of those opportunities they can't rebound in a game but after they lose they rebound in a big way yeah historically speaking yes so i think that even i think we will uh even though we're winless against kentucky in the the barry odom era i think that will hopefully change it should so there's a chance that quarterback sawyer smith does play um he's the more traditional quarterback obviously terry wilson was uh, by all accounts a very good quarterback uh serviceable in every regard for an sec quarterback he went down early in the season for the entire year and the backup sawyer smith is completing 46 percent of his passes with four touchdowns five interceptions and negative 25 rushing yards that's very bad now lynn bowden jr is completing 40 percent of his passes He's only attempted 30 passes. He does have a touchdown, but he has 394 rushing yards, which is... Did he just play last game? Yep, 349 rushing yards against Georgia. Well, no. you said you said that he... He started last game, but he has played in more than just that game. He started the game at quarterback, Okay, is what I meant. Well, that was kind of misleading. Well, sorry. Don't give me that attitude. <laughs> Yeah, so he he's in there to run the ball. He's not yeah. in there to pass the ball. And then he also, like I said, has 30 receptions for 348 yards receiving. So basically, he and he, against Arkansas, he looked like what you see in a video game where you just roll the quarterback out, he's got 99 speed, and then you just take off. That's what he did over and over again against Arkansas, and it absolutely did not work against Georgia. I mean, he still he had 17 carries for 99 yards, which is pretty good, but he was 2 of 15 throwing for 17 yards. Wow. Jake Fromm in that game, 9 of 12 for 35 yards passing. 
what's going on in the SEC East, man? It's ridiculous. We'll talk about Georgia more in a couple weeks, but yeah, it'd be nice if they could uh, keep playing terribly. Kentucky on defense, though, I think they're absolutely going to try to just change things up. That's something that Vanderbilt did well. They threw different numbers at Missouri. They brought extra guys down. They dropped extra players into coverage and I think really made it difficult for Kelly Bryant to know what was coming before the snap. And they didn't even have to blitz that much. It was just how many players are going to be there to attempt to stop the run. And I think Kentucky will try to do the exact same thing. They're going to try to make this a two-hour game and limit the number of possessions. And if they are successful at all with that, and if they can stifle uh, Missouri's offense the way Vanderbilt did even just a little bit, I think it's it's going to be a close one potentially. Do you think Missouri's offense bounces back? And if so, in what way? Yeah, I think Kelly Bryant's going to be better. Um, and I think the offensive line's going to be better. And I think that might be the most important key um, because I th- clearly these guys know how to pass block. They have never had any issues pass blocking. It's always their run game that even when we've won, it still hasn't been great at times. And usually Larry Roundtree or Tyler Beatty, both great runners, kind of can clean they, up a few of those mistakes. They kind of have to figure out figure it out on their own. Yeah. So um, and, and they both break a lot of tackles. So I, th- I, I don't know. I think the offensive line hopefully had a wake-up call hopefully they got embarrassed on film because they looked terrible there was no push at any point last week so and like i said against old miss they look great so they know how to do it um i think they're going to be better i think their uh their mind is going to be hopefully a little more focused this time um kelly bryant just he's got to throw the ball and like like we talked about earlier he's he's just got to give the wide receivers an opportunity to make a play whether it's albert o or or who else um, we've got some talented guys that are pass catchers that just haven't seen a lot of opportunities. Um, so hopefully some of those guys get more opportunities in this game. Yeah, I think um, Missouri should have success running the ball. I think they'll be able to get that push that you're looking for. Um, Kentucky's defense the last three games, they gave up 5.5 yards per carry to Georgia, 6.1 yards per carry to Arkansas, and 5.4 yards per carry to South Carolina. So... Um, and South Carolina just, they dominated their matchup with Kentucky. They won the game 24-7. Kentucky's only score came well into the fourth quarter, and they had 200-yard rushers on just 15 carries apiece. South Carolina did. Yeah. Um, I, I think if Missouri ha- can do kind of like South Carolina can score 21, 24 points, I think that's going to be enough to win in this game. I think it'll be pretty low scoring. Um, are you ready for my official prediction? Yeah, let's hear it. I'm going to say 28-14. Okay. Mizzou. I No field goals. No field goals. Okay. Unless it's one of those weird two Tucker McCann goals. games where he like misses two extra points and then they... And then it looks like he made five field goals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say two field goals. One for each team for a final score of 24-10 to 10 Missouri. That'll be fine with me. Yeah, I hope they win this one. They're favored by 10 or so on the road. So, yeah, I feel like both times Missouri's lost that like Vegas has been completely unfazed by it. They just yeah are like next. They're they're so not emotional about it like we are, and they're just like okay, well Missouri's still statistically and analytically very good. Yeah, and they're better than this team, so I'm still gonna pick them, you know, to win or whatever. But 
and um, they're usually right so i hope they're right here uh i just i hope missouri can score a little bit early and just help me relax a little bit because if they if they have back-to-back losses here going into matchups against georgia and florida slippery slope yes and like you said like we talked about earlier it would be a different conversation at the end of the season all right, let's pick a few more games. SEC pick them plus Nebraska week eight. Last week, I let Kyle um, come back a little bit. I went kind of out on a limb on two upset picks. They didn't come through, although they were close for a little while. South Carolina put up a fight against Florida, and Ole Miss uh, nearly pulled off an upset against Texas A&M. I really thought South Carolina was going to beat Florida. That was going to be pretty cool. Yeah, but uh, Kyle, you were a perfect six for six. You just went down the line, picked all the favorites, and they came through for you. Start doing that more often. Well, you're more than welcome to today. Uh, we'll start off. We only have five games to choose from this week. Um, outside of Missouri, the SEC has only one, two, three, four matchups this week, so I had to include one that's pretty lopsided, but a free point for everyone. Start off with Mississippi State at Texas A&M. Texas A&M, a home favorite by 10 points. I think every time I've picked a Mississippi State game, I'm wrong. So, And I don't really love A&M either, but I think I'm still going to have to pick them here. They're at home, 10-point favorite. And for the sake of this game that we play, I'm going to just need to keep pace with you a little bit. I can't keep getting zeros when you're putting ones on the board. So I don't love Mississippi State. I watched them beat Kansas State earlier in the season. They looked really good there, but I'm going to have to go with you and pick a Did they beat Kansas State? Yeah, they did, right? I don't know. No, maybe Kansas. I, I think it was the other way around, and I picked Mississippi State to beat them, and they lost. But oh, right, right, right. That was a long time ago. I, I picked really against know. them, so I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> there you go. Number nine, Auburn at number two, LSU. LSU, 11-point favorite at home. LSU finally looks like a really complete team, and they haven't for many years. It seems like they always have, are really good at, at one thing, and usually their offense is uh, not great, but – Joe Burrow is a legitimate Heisman candidate. They're really solid in like every way possible. I'm going to have to pick LSU at home. I'll agree, and I also think Auburn's not that good in the grand scheme of things compared to LSU and Alabama and those elite teams. Uh, South Carolina, four-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Tennessee. Hmm. Yeah. Gears are turning. I'll I'll pick my pick if you want me to. Go for it. I like South Carolina to win one, two, three, four games in a row, including one at Texas A&M before they lose at the end of the season to Clemson. And this is the start of a winning streak. So South Carolina, they're going to come through down the stretch. I will say Tennessee's going to win this. They're at home, and I think South Carolina, um, I think they're a little high on themselves right now. And they beat Georgia. They almost beat Florida. And I think th- I think they're going to try to sleepwalk through Tennessee, and they're going to lose. Definitely possible. Arkansas at number one, Alabama. The spread's a zillion. Man, that is tough. I'm going to have to pick Alabama. Indiana at Nebraska. Nebraska, two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Producer Cameron, mm, wow. two-and-a-half points okay. at home to Indiana? That's a coin this flip This is what game. it's come to. Who's going to win? Can't, uh, producer Cameron. Um, 
hopefully Nebraska can get a W against a, another crappy team. Is Indiana good at all? No. I think they they have a better record. I yeah, think they have one less, four, one fewer three, loss. Five and two. Five and two. I think they've played one less game. I don't know. Okay. They've they've got a they're winning. They're, they've got a winning they're record. Okay. Yeah. They're they've five and two. Nebraska's four and three. Mm. They're both two and two in conference. Both wow. losses to ranked teams and both wins against non ranked teams. So this is gonna be a great game. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> oh, I've heard enough. <laughs> okay. Tell me who you're gonna pick. Indiana. Oh my word. Okay, I'll pick Nebraska. He was you're daring you to kidding too. me. Huh? He was daring you too. Yeah. I didn't think he would. Wow. Okay. Well, that's going to be fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Go Hoosiers. Make up for 2014. Not really, but. Well, in this podcast, we definitely defended Barry Odom in a not so great time to defend Barry Odom, but I think it's justified. It's some huge games coming up. Uh, for Barry Odom's future, um, I don't know. I, I hope we can pull it off. It's going to be big. Uh, but if you disagree with anything we said, feel free to uh, shout us out on Twitter. Tell us uh, how we're wrong. Tell us why we're stupid for settling for mediocrity because I know there's probably going to be one of those. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, and also Spotify. We're on Twitter, like I just said, at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. Kyle, Ohio State, Alabama, Texas, they don't settle for these type of losses. You can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next week after a win. I shouldn't say that. You said that last time.